Uh, one of the things that I am absolutely amazed at in our church is the level of talent of the people that we have at our church. I, not too long ago, was at our, one of our, at a board meeting, and our board are some of the people who take care to make sure that we're stewarding the finances well in our church. And I told them, honestly, I would have given my eye teeth for just one of them in some of my other churches that I've served. It's really just amazing, the talent level. Well, this morning, uh, it's our privilege to have John Moe come and share God's word with us. John uh, is uh, somebody who has been an elder with us and been a part of our church for, is it eight, nine years? Um, and John holds a Master of Divinity from Trinity University and uh, just excited about hearing all that he has to share with us this morning. So let's have a round of applause for John. Thanks, brother. Well, as John Murtha once said after he got a, a, you know, a clap when he came up, he said, well, you probably should save that till the end, and that's pretty much true here. I love that. So thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to uh, be bringing God's word this morning and speaking a couple things I think God's put in my heart the last couple weeks. Um, a little bit about me. I know Mark's giving me a little bit just for those who don't know me. Um, I'm married to a wonderful woman named Christine. Uh, we have four children. They range from a junior in high school to a third grader. Uh, I did spend a good seven years in Chicago when I was in seminary, and, and uh, let's see, what else? Oh yeah, I'm, uh, I'm afraid of clowns, so that's something, I'm just being very honest with you. Uh, I, I, it started out when I was about six or seven. Kids, how many of you had bad dreams when you were kids? Anybody have a bad dream, like nightmares? How many had them last night? All right, so, so when I was about six or seven, I had a bad dream. I, I, I don't know if I was like in twilight state or what, but I look up, and there's this scary joker clown hovering over my bed, and I'm like, oh, and ever since then, I just am just petrified of clowns, and so if, if you are a clown, um, it's creepy, but I mean, that's cool, that's your profession, in fact, there is a clown in our, in our uh, after the first service, a guy came up to me, he said, I'm a clown, and he gave me this card, which is terrifying, if you can see, it's real small, <laughs> it's of Bovi, the clown, balloon sculpting kids, magic. so if you have a party or something, I can give this to you later, and you can have your, your fill of that. But that's kind of what I want to talk to us about. Not necessarily clowns, but I'd like to talk about fear. Fear. What makes you afraid? Now, I'm not talking about clowns or snakes or spiders. I'm talking about the thing that keeps you up at night. The thing that you kind of have a sense of dread about. The thing you most fear in your heart, in the quietness of your mind, you kind of think about. The thing that can kind of stir right here. What are we to do with fear? I was with a couple friends over the holidays, and one of the gentlemen, he had a lot of investments. He decided to sell off all his properties, his investment properties. And I asked him, why did you do that? And he said, well, I just have this feeling, this fear that there's going to be this downturn economy. I'm like, why? Why do you believe that? Because the economy is humming along, things are going great. He said, I don't know. I just have this sense of dread, this sense of fear that something's going to happen in 2020. And as I thought about that conversation... And I'm thinking through all the headlines that we read, thinking through the politics that we have. You know, we have this impeachment process going on, and who knows who's going to be in the White House in 2020, and we've got this trades deal with China and the terrorism, all these things coming at us. i got to wonder, how many of us look at 2020 and think, yeah, I'm a little bit uneasy. I have a little bit of fear. I, I, I don't like this unknown, and I don't know where to go. Well, this morning, we want to talk about how to basically combat fear, how to get rid of fear. 
by looking at Psalm 23. But before we get to that psalm, I think it's very important that we look at the origins of fear. You know, just like a doctor wants to find the thing that's wrong, the cause of the disease so they can cure it, I think the same way with fear, if we're going to cure fear, we need to get to the beginning and find out what the cause is. So we go back to Genesis 1. I'm going to use this whiteboard, and the reason I am is because Mike Vondrell and, and Tumney always use it, and I felt, oh, this is cool, that's like the coolest thing, so I'm going to use it. But I got this, this rubric from a gospel-centered class that, that Libby Peterson and Mike taught a while ago on, on the beginning of when God created heaven's earth, kind of where we were and where we've come. And there were four kind of rubrics that they used that I thought was very helpful. First is, when God created the heavens and the earth, he made man, and man had perfect harmony with the world. Okay, that's the world. It's very good. And then this is my stick figure man here. So in perfect harmony, whereas Adam was to name the animals, right? So he would walk in a forest and animals would not run away from him. Can you imagine that? It's kind of like the Snow White where she's walking in the forest and the birds are flying around. She's singing to them. That's how it was back then. Crazy, I know. But man had a perfect relationship with the entire world and all of creation was that one. And then man also had a perfect relationship with other men, being Eve. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship. It says they were naked and unashamed. There was no shame between them. There was no guilt between them. They had a perfect, perfect, harmonious, wonderful marriage. First time ever in history. That's, that was there. For a split second, we had it. We had it. And then man had a perfect relationship. Now this, I have to explain because I'm so bad at drawing. Uh, this is a mirror. They had a perfect relationship with himself. So there's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no um, fear. There's no things that where, you know, like the stuff that you have now where you, you, you look in the mirror and you kind of feel some shame. You don't want people to find out. Whether, none of that existed. They had a perfect relationship between man and himself. And then ultimately they had a perfect relationship between man and God. Man and God. God would walk with man and the cool of the day, it says. Now imagine that just... Hey, it's 7 o'clock. God's coming. Let's go hang out. Let's go walk the gardens. That's the kind of relationship that man had in creation. And then it just got blown to bits. Man disobeyed. God said, don't eat of this garden, this one tree. And, and man couldn't help himself. He wanted to be like God. So he does this and he disobeys. And all, every single relationship is busted and broken. Broken forever. There is this sense of brokenness and pain that that one act caused where we see in creation is broken we see our relationships are strained every single relationship you have is broken and busted our relationship with ourselves is broken and relationship with God and what happens is the root of fear comes in with pain and with suffering and with this brokenness because we hear and we live in a life of pain and brokenness and we just our natural response is what fear Right? Take, take, for instance, brokenness between creation. So think about disease, right? Before the garden happened, there was no disease. Well, now our cells replicate poorly. They, they replicate the wrong cells, and we get cancer. And we hear of our friends and family getting cancer, and they go through chemo, and it's terrible, and it strikes fear in people. Right? Or, or you don't have enough money. 
The lack of resources right here, right? There's just, there's just this, this, I wake up at night and I can't stop thinking about how much I have to make and I, am I going to make ends meet or if I have a lot, am I going to lose it? All these things and they lead to poor decisions. So what happens when you live in this pain and you live in the brokenness and you start to fear, you start to control, right? Because if it's an uncontrolled world and things are happening, I got to control some way. I, I read this story in the Wall Street Journal this last week about a woman who was in her 30s and her mother who was in her 60s who went to get gene testing. And when they did this gene testing, it came about that a gene had, a, they had a pre, this gene has a predisposition to cause breast cancer. So they had this gene. They didn't have breast cancer. They just had the gene known to cause breast cancer. So out of their fear, they decided to get a double mastectomy and they got a hysterectomy, both of them. The 30-year-old woman is no longer able to have children. And then the article reads... Oh, we don't even know if this gene actually causes cancer. They did some studies for the studies, and the gene came back that it may not. So out of this fear of getting a disease, they did some drastic measures. But see, that's what fear does to us. How many dumb decisions do we make based on fear and fear alone? We see this brokenness in our relationships here, right? You get this relationship. I mean, how— you guys have been betrayed before. I'm sure of it. I'm sure somebody's lied to you. I'm sure you felt the hurt and the pain of a loved one just, just betraying and, and marriages are falling apart. Because of this brokenness that we're in, we parent relationships, we want to not disappoint our parents or maybe we're worried about a child who's running off. It's just everything is broken in pain and what happens is we start to fear. We fear with ourselves. I mean, think about this. How many times do you sleepless wakeness just because of anxiety and fear and depression? Depression is not a huge rise, right? Because we are not one with ourselves, we start to fear. And after long periods of fear, there's mental illness. And then our relationship with God is broken. We fear the one who used to walk with us. We fear he's angry with us. We fear he's disappointed in us. We fear he doesn't exist. And if we do believe he exists, we fear that he's going to throw us in hell because he's an angry God. We fear him. And what that does is causes, it causes distance between us and God. I mean, how many of you just kind of stopped giving up talking to God because you feel fear his disappointment of you? That's the real world we live in. It's broken, it's broken, and it's fearful. It's no wonder that the Bible gives the imperative of fear not more than any other command in the Bible. Did you know that? Fear not. Over any other command in the Bible, fear not is number one. Because God knows that the fear that comes from a broken world can destroy us, can make us think crazy, make us do odd things. So, so what do we do? How do we live a fearless life? If the Bible says don't be afraid, how do we possibly do that when the whole culture and everything is going towards fear? Well, we need a provider. We need a protector. We need someone who can walk with us through the pain, and the Bible calls that a shepherd. A shepherd, and that's in Psalm 23. So if you could open your Bibles to, to, to Psalm 23. If you're opening a pew, a pew Bible, it's page 756. 756, it's right in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, those pew Bibles are yours to have. They're wonderful resources for you. You can take those home. But it's almost in the middle of the Bible. It's to the left a little bit. Psalm 23, 756, if you're reading on the pew Bible. This is the Psalm 123, and it's up here on the screen as well. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's so much packed into this psalm. You may have heard this psalm maybe at a funeral, maybe at other times. This is a very well-known, well-known uh, psalm from, from David who was a shepherd and he's relating this to God. Through the scriptures you'll see God relating to himself as a shepherd, which by implication means that we are sheep. And I believe that we are sheep, we are like sheep because we're skittish, because we get spooked easily, because we are in desperate need of a shepherd. I read a few weeks ago about a Turkish shepherd, Turkey, he's a shepherd from Turkey, who took a break, a lunch break, and 1,500 sheep got spooked and decided to walk off a cliff. They just walked to their death off a cliff. Now only 400 died because the 400 that died first, they supported the fall of the other sheep. But still, that's, that's what sheep do. They have no protection, they have no camouflage. They're, they're helpless against predators. They have to be led to food. And they get spooked and they walk off a cliff. Now I don't know about you. I'm not going to say you're like a sheep. Because that's just, that's just mean. But I can speak for myself that I feel like a sheep a lot of times. I mean I will read these articles. And I will read something about Russia nuking up. Or I'll, I'll see my friend sell off his investments. And I start thinking... Oh goodness, I have to do that too. I get spooked. How many of us get spooked? Like, oh gosh, oh no. And the anxiety starts to flow. That's because we need a shepherd. We're just like sheep. And in this world with the brokenness and all of us, we need a good shepherd. So is the shepherd good? What's the shepherd like? Let's explore the shepherd again. Can we get the uh, first verse up on the screen? So at first it says, the Lord is my shepherd. First off, hands down, the Lord being your shepherd should be the best news ever. Because the Lord owns everything. The Lord created He has all the gold and silver. The Bible says he has a cattle on a thousand hills. He is, has the ability to provide like no other shepherd because he's God. But what kind of God is he? He's a good and gracious God because he gives. I shall not want. Do you love that? There is no qualification there. He's a good, abundant shepherd who gives freely and you don't even want. There's no need. He's not qualifying it. He's not saying, I will give only if you attend Sunday sermons. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I am the good shepherd. Come to me and I will give you so you do not want all your needs. And not only that, he says he makes the sheep lie down in green pastures. Now, I don't know how many shepherds are out there, but I just want to let you know that sheep will not lie down if they're hungry. If they're hungry, they roam around. They will not sit and lay down. But this text shows us that he's such a good shepherd that the sheep are so full that they lay down. That's the kind of shepherd he is. And not only that, will a sheep who gets spooked easily, lie down if there's wolves in the neighborhood? No. The shepherd is so good at protection that these sheep feel so confident and so good and so full that they're laying down. And this idea of green pastures, 
is a wonderful picture because sheep would oftentimes walk into a pasture and then they would eat poisonous weeds. They would eat poisonous types of plants and they would die. And so a good shepherd would come and a good shepherd would pick out all the bad weeds and the flowers, pull them out so that there would be a nice green pasture that even the sheep itself couldn't kill itself. I get this idea of a fat, fluffy, lethargic, satisfied sheep laying in a green pasture, kind of like me at Christmas, <laughs> laying on the couch after my roast beef. That's the picture that the psalmist wants you to have. Not this, not scary, not wandering around, not running off a cliff. No, easy peasy, fat, lethargic sheep from a God who gives. Additionally, in the next verse, he leads us besides still waters. Now, the Hebrew for that is literally waters of rest. How do you need waters of rest? Huh? Boy, do I need waters of rest. I mean, a lot of you are just with family over the holidays. I think you need waters with rest. Because look what happens here. Our family relationships, our dynamics are so busted and so broken. Our political relationships, our boss relationships, our, our marriages, everything is so— We need that rest. And the good shepherd comes in and says, I will give you waters of rest. Do not fear. I find it fascinating that Jesus preached a lot of the times by, it says, the water's edge. Sea of Galilee, he preached on the water in boats— he did miracles on the water by walking on the water and stopping the storm. If you read book of John 1 through 6, you'll see a water theme throughout because we're, the, the gospels are trying to show us that he is the true water of life. He's the water of rest. When we come to him, when we come to that shepherd, there is peace, there is rest, there is no fear. So we see God in all his provision, taking over the world, giving us green pastures, eliminating this, this broken pain that we have here. He sees us giving us rest to our relationships. And next we see him restore our souls. You see that right there? It says he restores our soul. So the shame and the guilt and the fear that you're going to be found out can all be gone because he's restoring that relationship with yourself. It's like the demoniac. Remember that story with the guy who had all the demons inside us, the legion of demons? It says he was running around in chains and he was among the tombs. And when Jesus comes and he gets rid of all the demons, it says he was sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind. Boy, I need my right mind. Especially in this fear culture, right? We need our right mind. That's what Jesus does as our shepherd. He restores not only our mind, but our souls. The emotional hurt that we have, the emotional brokenness that we feel, the, the mind brokenness that we have. Jesus is like, no, I got this. Don't fear. He's leading us by green pastures and still waters, and he's restoring our soul. And then he restores our relationship with God. Look at this. He leads me in paths of righteousness, this word righteousness means the rightness of God, God's holiness, God's correctness. God is not crooked. He is not wicked. He has a straight path. So literally what the shepherd is doing is he's leading his sheep on the path that God would walk. I think about that for a minute. How many of our fears come from decisions we have to make? Oh gosh, do I go this way or do I go that way? God, what would you want? Would you want me to do this or would you want me to do this? And the shepherd is calm down. I am leading you on the path that God has for you. So think about that. We could have the wisdom to ask the Father, 
what decision we would like to make because of the shepherd, and we can walk in his path. That should give us great boldness and great fearlessness. He's making us, this, this shepherd is making us again in the righteousness of God so that God is pleased with us, so that we, we walk in his footsteps. But that's, that's pretty powerful, having the, whole, the, the, the shepherd do all these things for us. But then Psalm 23 takes a little bit of a turn. A turn I don't like. This little valley of the shadow of death thing. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is this? This valley of death, the shadow of the valley of death. I think some of you know this too, too well, I bet. The valley of death is the place where it's hopeless, where it is dark, where there, there seems to be fears everywhere. It just runs your life. This is the valley of death where you face actual death. And some of you have been there and back. Some of you are in it right now. Some of you haven't been in it, and I, I just, it pains me to say you will be there because we all face our death. We will all look death squarely in the eyes and have to face this valley. And that should be the ultimate fear, the fear of death. But my question is, why does he take us through the valley? Couldn't he just take us around the mountaintops around the valley? I mean, there's got to be good pastures up top, right? And for a lot of my life, I kept asking that question. I kept asking, why do you take me through the valley? And that's the wrong question. The right question is, how do you take me through the valley and live? Because I see Christianity as one of the only religions that deals with suffering very well. It doesn't, it doesn't look at pain and suffering and just put it aside and say, oh, that's no big deal. It doesn't say your whole life's going to be rainbows and unicorns. What Christianity does is take you straight through the valley. Because that's reality. Reality is we live in this broken, messed up world. And we need someone to help us walk through it. But the difference is that very thing. The difference with the Christian religion is that the Christian founder, the one we worship, actually takes you through the valley. You see this? I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I will fear no evil. Because why? Because you, God, are with me. That is a key distinctive. You're with me. He does not promise I'm not going to take you in the, in the valley. He just promises to be with you in the valley. But many times when you're in the valley, it's so dark, it's hard to understand. God, are you really there? I bet you there's someone in this room right now who is in the valley. It's like, God, I don't even know if you're around. I don't, I don't know if you've been here for years. Where have you been? The question I always have is, are you sure he's with me? How do you know that the shepherd is with you. And it all comes down to this little word called shadow. The shadow. The shadow of death. We know that Jesus is with us because Jesus walked through the valley of death so that we only have this valley of the shadow of death. See the difference? John 10.10. 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. If you're ever wondering who the shepherd was, he says this. I am the good shepherd, he says. I know my own and my own knows me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And he says this. This is key. I lay down my life for my sheep. 
He says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. That's the reason why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life. You see, Jesus just says, I'm the good shepherd, and he took on the cross the valley of death, not the shadow. He actually walked through death so that we get the shadow. He took the death that you deserve and gave you the life you didn't deserve so that you never had to walk through the actual valley of death. The wolves came, the predators came, and ate him so that it never happens to you. But how many of you know this shadow can be scarier than the real thing? It's not the real thing, but it's scary. I I remember when I was a Boy Scout, we went out west, and we were always afraid of bears, because out there there were grizzly bears that could eat you. And so what we did is we took all our smelly things and deodorants and cooking supplies and we put them in a bear box. And one night, the fire was about to go out and we heard a rustling by where we were cooking. So of course, you know, boys are like, "Uh uh-oh, we're going to get eaten here. What's going on? And then because of the fire and the thing that was between the fire and the tent, in the tent, the shadow looked like a bear. Looked huge. And we're like, we're dead. We're dead meat. Look at this thing. Until one of the boys popped out his head real closely and shined a light on it. You know what it was? It was a raccoon. We call them mini bears. So what this shadow was telling me was there's a bear outside, but when you put a light on it, there was no bear at all. It was a raccoon who looked up and ran away. See, that's what death is now. You get to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because Jesus actually walked through death and took it on for you. So you might right now think, I am in the valley of death. You're not in the valley of death. You're just in a shadow. Because Christ died on a cross for you, there is no more death if you believe in Jesus. There isn't. Immediately when you die, you are with him in heaven. Did you know that? There is no death. Death has lost its sting. The greatest fear of our lives should be dying. And Jesus was like, I took that away. Because he's the good shepherd. That's how you combat fear. It's by being with the good shepherd. So that story that I told you with the, uh, the clown, that I remember like yesterday, I remember right after that running into my parents' room. I went upstairs. I was terrified. Tell my dad, 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 there was a clown over my bed. Now that sounds crazy, right? There's no clown over your bed. But you know, he didn't make me know that. He didn't say, oh, there's no clown. Just get over it. No, you know what he did? He just held me in his arms and he said, look, I'm going to pray for you. I love you. And just his very presence, fear went away. For 2020, my heart for us as a church is that we just be with Jesus. We learn more about Jesus. We talk to people about Jesus. We, we, we get with Jesus because the more we see Christ like that, the more fear just goes out the window. Just being in the very presence of Jesus, fear is gone. Fear is gone. So right now, Keon, could you come up and play a little bit? What we're going to do is I'm going to give you three minutes just to be with Jesus, just to pray a little bit. You know, I, I feel like every time I get distracted the phone, I pick up something, I never have a time to really sit and just think. Well, this is your time just to sit and think about what Jesus has done for you. Five minutes, three minutes, just to pray and seek God wherever he's leading you. And then... Keon's going to lead us in a worship song and they'll come back up and bless us. Just take this second just to quiet your heart. No phones, no distractions, just you and the Lord. The Good Shepherd. And 
I guess all he wants you to do is just walk up to his lap and say, hey, you know what, Lord, I am fearful of this. That's all he wants. He knows he's not angry at you. He's not disappointed in you. He knows how you are. He knows that you fear. He knows we all fear. He's a good and gracious God, and he wants to hear it. So just tell him. If you're going through that valley, God wants you to know he's with you. He has not left you. He has not left you alone. Man, it's just a shadow, guys. It's not the real deal. good to us. While we were yet sinners, you came to us and you sought us out like a good shepherd. And you guide us in your truth and you take us by our hands and you walk us through the valley. Lord, I just pray for those that struggle with fear right now that you just break that, that you show them, that you love them, that you're deeply, deeply satisfying all things, Lord, that we give you the honor and the glory, we pray in your son's name.